Welcome to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. Pastor Andy Oliver is our Bible teacher and expositor. Our message today is from Nehemiah 6, Wrought of God. Please take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. The work that Nehemiah was doing was hindered three ways. In Nehemiah chapter 2, in the beginning of verse of chapter 4, the people were mocked by their enemies. In the latter part of chapter 4, they were threatened physically and had to arm themselves because of an impending attack. In chapter 5, we see the financial hardships placed upon them by their own nobles, and it nearly ended the project. Nehemiah was, by the, by the grace of God, able to surmount all these obstacles. What tactic was left for the enemies of God? How could they, in a last-ditch effort, stop the wall from being completed? Up till now, they had attacked the people and discouraged the workers. Now they would attack Nehemiah personally. It will deal with his, his person, his integrity. The idea of get the leader... In uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when Sanballat, he would be the governor of Samaria to the north, and Tobiah, he's with the Ammonites, that would be on the east side across Jordan, and Geshem the Arabian, that would be to the south, and it says the rest of the enemies, note that it's in plural. There were a number of others. We know that the Philistines to the west were, were a problem as well. And there are probably a number of other people filling in any gaps you might find. They were surrounded by hostile people that uh, had no intention of seeing Jerusalem uh, rise in its uh, in prominence. That the worshipers would have a place of security to uh, come there in Jerusalem. It was uh, contrary to their best interest as far as financially and, and in power and so on to see Jerusalem left as a poor, destitute place. When they heard that I had built the wall and there were no, there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the, the doors upon the gate. So there's, there's still some gaps, but it, we are dealing with a largely defensible place. The walls are, for the most part, in place. Uh, high enough so that they couldn't be easily climbed over anything, so probably dealing with something that's 10 or, or more feet tall surrounding the city. But again, there's there's quite a few gates that could be uh, entered, and think of double doors big enough for two wagons to, to pass each other, uh, a door doorway that might be uh, 16 feet wide or more. And so the uh, the gates and so on had not been put in place. It says this in verse 2, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. The plain of Ono was uh, 27 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It was traditionally in the Philistine territory. And it would be outside Jeremiah's jurisdiction. He would not have uh, formal protection in such a place. And of course, the idea, as we see a number of times uh, in the New Testament, the same idea, was to, uh, to set a trap, to be murdered on the road, murdered on the, on the plain of Ono, to put an end to the, uh, the leadership that was spearheading this, this effort and would be creating some measure of disillusionment and confusion on the part of the folks there in Jerusalem. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time can be can be hazardous. And Nehemiah's response was I am doing a great work. Let's uh, let's read that. It says uh, 
they sent the, they did this several times. And he says there in verse 3, I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Now, I don't know about you. I have this all the time. Matter of fact, uh, this week, I've got one appointment that's going to have to be set aside because I've got another engagement over here and I have to prioritize things. Folks, we need to prioritize things. And uh, very often, we have uh, all sorts of demands on our time. People want us to do this, and, and, and I think I need to do this. And this has been something that I've, I, I, it's, been, it's been on my to-do list, and my, my honey-do list is just getting bigger and bigger, and I need to start chipping away at those things. And we look at all the things that we have to do. And I want you to know, I don't know if it's anything like me, I won't live long. I can live to be 120. I will never live long enough to, fill, to finish my to-do list. There are certain things that are just going to have to be left undone. Oh, I cringe at that. I know there are things that are going to have to be left undone. And some of you are thinking, some of, some of you are thinking, oh boy, I hope my spouse doesn't have that. Some of those things on my, on the list because I've got things that I want him to do or her to do. But there are certain things that have to be left undone because prioritize, priorities and frankly, the circumstances will demand that they just won't happen. Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work. Why should I stop doing what God has called me to do so I can come and talk to you guys? He knows they're hostile. He knows what they're... This has been played out already. He knows what's going on. Now, they may be taking the diplomatic approach. Why? What? We're just a bunch of governors. We're all under the, the, the same king of Persia. Why can't we just go to a somewhat neutral location and, and, and talk these things down? And we can just, we can just, re- listen, there is nothing to resolve. There is nothing to resolve. Understand also, as, as pleasant as the idea may be, The concept of why can't we all just get along sometimes has good reasons why we can't all just get along. There are some things that I can't compromise on. There are some things that I can't set aside. I can't go contrary to what God has has told me to do just because somebody else thinks it's a good idea or it it would create some peace and tranquility. I need to do what God would have me to do. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work. Why should it cease so I can come and talk to you? We need to prioritize things. Let me, let me throw this one out there. Learn, learn to say no. Learn to say no. But, learn to say no to the things that you need to say no to. It's not a matter of preference. Oh, I'd really rather do this, and I was asked to do this, and this is something great, and this is something noble, and I think this would generally be some help, helpful to, uh, to some folks over here, and it would, it would promote the ministry, and might give me some opportunities, but you know, I, I need to go, I need to go home, and I need to, I need to do laundry. I need to go home, and, uh, and, uh, it used to be the old argument, that's when my television program is on. These days you can just push the buttons and make it come on whenever you want to. But I need to go home and take care of this. I need to go take, Folks, what is the priority? I'm, but I'm tired. Yes, I know. We're all tired. We're all always tired. But I need to prioritize these things. My wife and I deal with this, with this thing all the time. How many spoons do you have today? You familiar with that? Some of you number. Okay. How many spoons do you have today? 
Well, I need to, to make sure I've got 10 spoons today. What am I going to be using up my spoons for? Okay, I'm, I've got to take care of this, and that's going to that's take two spoons. And I've got, I've got this. That's just one spoon. This one over here, this may be only half a spoon. So I may have a half a spoon, extra half a spoon left over. That'd be really nice. And I use up my spoons. And one of the problems we get into is we get so far into the day, we have used up our spoons and we have certain obligations to God that have been left undone. Oh, that's right. I got to take care of this. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I said I'd do this. Oh, 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 okay. Folks, prioritize and plan. Prioritize and plan. The old idea that I, it's always, you know, you need to be in the book every day. And you do. And I need to be in prayer every day. And more than just, Lord, thanks for the day. It's been great. Good night. Now I lay me down to sleep, or whatever it might be. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, that's not real. Your, your time with God is a priority. I encourage, now part of it, we're all a little different. I do mine in the morning for the most part. But you know what? There was a time in my life I was not a morning person. And I'm still not a whole lot morning person. Morphing into that. But uh, there was a time I, you get up in the morning and, and it would be the, the clock hands. It would be both be pointing up before I was really cognizant of my surroundings. And for me to try to read my Bible in the morning was dragging my eyes across some kind of printed page that I was vaguely aware uh, of what was there. And, and it was not benefiting me whatsoever. And so I would read at lunchtime where I would read in the afternoon. I would read in the evening as I had become. But the problem with that. Because there's a problem with that. Is what if I've used up my spoons? By the time I get... What if things come up? What if things interrupt? Well, then I get to the end of the day, and I'm turning to Psalm 117, which is only two verses, so that I can say, I read a chapter today. I'll go to the Psalms of Degrees, which are three, four, five, six, and seven verses, so I can say, I, I, I read a section of the Psalms today. Uh, instead of sticking to my, my program and, and really getting some, some meat out of this. I encourage getting into the book in the morning. It preps you for the day and also you've got spoons. You've got spoons. My, my wife said it's coffee and contemplation. And if you need the, uh, the, some, 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 some stimulation so that you can know what's going on, we're in the Northwest. We know how to do this right. Okay. So get into the word. Priorities. Learn to say no. Don't be too busy. And most of the time we are too busy because we fill our schedules with things we want to do instead of things we need to do. Don't be too busy. Don't allow good things to distract from things that are best. Don't, folks, don't get distracted. I had something happen this morning. I'm, I'm sitting in my office. I'm, I'm chipping away at my prayer time. And there was something important. Knock at the office door. And so I'm, I'm, I'm having to deal with something that's important. 
and I and I dealt with that as best I could, and then I tried to go back, and I and I was distracted, and I'm now thinking now I'm thinking about the thing that distracted me, and it took me like ten minutes to get back into what now what was I praying for? What was I doing? Okay, okay, now okay, all right, now, okay. My prayer time is really important. It is really really important. Your prayer time is important. It needs to be a priority. Your time with God frankly, should be your highest priority of the day. And make sure that it doesn't get bumped by something that isn't as important. Something that may be good, something that is itself important, but not as important. Prioritize. Learn to say no. Nehemiah was steadfast in this. There were five attempts they sent letters saying, oh, come meet with us on the plain of Ono. Five times they tried this. I'm doing a great work. I can't do this. I will not do this. I will not be distracted from the task that God has called me to do. Well, I think his enemies finally figured out he's not coming. We sent five invitations. He's not coming. We got, we, he declined five times and he made it very clear he's not coming. How else can we stop this? Because remember, these guys are not trying to help. These guys are trying to hinder. Verse 5. Then sent Sambalat, his servant, unto me with a, in like manner, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Okay, now that's important. Understand that letters back in the day were on a scroll. Okay, a little piece of parchment, and it went rolled up and sealed with sealing wax. And it could not be read without breaking the seal. So that all the ones before sent from, uh, from Sanballat and Tobiah would have been read only by Nehemiah or somebody that the folks at the beginning or at the end had shown them. But in between, no one could see it. It's a sealed letter. This one's open. Everybody can read it. The courier can read it. Anybody along the way, hey, have you seen this? Do you look at this? Look at this. And, and so the idea was to allow the information to, to spread. It's not a secret communication. This is something we want to make sure is as many people as, as can will know what's going on. An open letter. Wherein was written. It is reported. It has been said among the heathen, among the Gentiles here. And Gashmu, that'd be one of the Arabs to the south, saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. That's what the, that's what the rumor says. And thou hast appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now it shall be reported to the king, the, the real king over there in Persia. According to his words, come now, therefore, let us take, let us take counsel. Let's discuss this. False accusations. You're planning on revolting against the Persian crown. There's a, there's a rumor we've heard. Well, I wonder who started the rumor. Years ago, I sat in a meeting and a fella pulled out an envelope and he says, I, I got this letter. And he, he read the letter. And a letter was pushing an agenda that he was concerned about and that a number of the other people in the room were, were opposed to. And uh, as they discussed it, 
Somebody finally said, did you write that letter yourself? Well, yes, I did. And they created a huge uproar and a big argument. Who started this rumor? I, I, somebody said this. Well, who was the somebody? Well, well, it was me. I started the rumor. I created the, the slander, the gossip. It was started and spread by those with a vested interest. There's no basis in truth. It is propaganda. You plan to become king. You've got prophets to announce the news. And in doing this, they're, they're maligning Nehemiah's religion. Using, saying that he's using religion, what's going on there in Jerusalem for his own purposes. By the way, it's been done many times before. It will be done by the Antichrist there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Lots and lots. I, dare I say this? Dare I say this? The majority of religions in the world, let's scratch that, all religions in the world, have been used and are being used for self-serving purposes, to gain power and influence. Some of them are designed that way. Some of them came into existence for that very purpose. And they're accusing Nehemiah of doing that very thing, using religion for his own purposes. And then they say, we will report this to the king. Now, this is an attack on Nehemiah's integrity. You look at this fellow, at what we've seen so far. you got a guy who has sacrificed a great deal to do what he's doing. And now they're impugning his, his motives. They're attacking his, his loyalty. What do you do? What do you do? Then I said unto him, saying, There is no such things as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine heart. You made this up yourselves. For they all made us afraid, saying that thy hands will be weakened from the work, and it shall not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah does two things. Number one, he gives a flat denial. It's not true. It's a lie. And then number two, he gives a rebuke. You guys, and he knew this, you guys are making up the lies. And then he prays. Because there's only so much you can do. If you spend all your time, if you're in a position of high leadership, the bigger you are, the bigger the target you are. And if you spend all your time stomping out various fires all over the place, you'll do nothing else. It is a distraction. It is an effort to get you off task. If you are constantly having to deal with all these little things, you won't be able to focus on the thing you're supposed to be doing. He goes to prayer. And he deals with the enemy's purpose, that they are trying to frighten us, they're trying to discourage us, they're trying to to stop the work. And he asked God to strengthen his hands. Lord, help me to stick with it. Help me to have the strength to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Lord, give me what I need to accomplish the task that you've called me to do. And understand that that prayer, as we yield our, as long as there's sin, there's no sin in the way. As long as there is not some, some, some sin issue that's hindering this, God will always answer that prayer. God, give me the strength to accomplish the task that you've called me to do. 
Because God never tells his children, his children, to accomplish the impossible. The task that God has for you is doable by his power. Not in your own strength, certainly. But by the power and grace of God, it can be done. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's disagreeable. Sometimes it's downright unpleasant. But you can do anything you are supposed to do. So that first tactic is to attack attack his person. What's the next one? Look at verse 10. Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel. And by the way, uh, the names, I know he said, oh, good grief, they got all these uh, unpronounceable names. If you look at some of the names in the other genealogies, this guy came from good stock. His, his forebears were good people. But that doesn't always mean that he is a good person. That he is a God-fearing person. It says he was shut up. He's, he's in his home. He can't leave. And it doesn't say why. It could be, there's several different things that were thrown out. There's a possibility that he was ceremonially unclean. It's possible that he was sick. It's possible the the wording in the uh, in the original language here is phrased in such a way as that this fellow was at least pretending to be a prophet. So what he's going to say to Nehemiah is is phrased in such a way that this is supposed to be a revelation from God. And so maybe it might, his being in the house was uh, was a symbol. He says, "Let us uh, meet together." In the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. Alright. Here's Jerusalem. It's on a hill. They are building the walls around Jerusalem. The circumference of the walls is between one and a half and two and a half miles. The gates have yet been set up. The wall is uneven on the top. There are lots of people in there. Uh, within the city, but they're all workers, but the number of buildings within the walls are few and far between. The only thing of any consequence is the temple itself. It is a stone building. Now, this fellow says, let's go into the temple building and shut the doors and we will be safe because they'll come at night and kill you. Supposed to be a messenger of God. He's supposed to be a prophet of God, a spokesman in reality for the enemy. Nehemiah is getting a backdoor attack from somebody who's supposed to be an ally. Let us meet in the temple, not at the temple, in the building itself. Now that was contrary to the law of Moses. Nehemiah is not a priest. He cannot According to the Old Testament scripture, he cannot go into the building itself. He is not allowed to. As a matter of fact, there were dire consequences if he did. It would be sin for Nehemiah to go into the temple. It would be sin to. They're going to try to kill you. And the only safe place, Nehemiah, the only safe place is that that big, heavy stone building. And you could go in there and you could lock the doors and you would be safe. Well, physically he might be safe. But spiritually he would have sinned against God. If the enemy can get us to sin, 
that's going to hinder any work we would be doing for God. Now, Nehemiah's response, he says in verse 11, Should such a man as I flee? Would I run away? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. I, will I do this? Number one, it's going to hurt my, my credibility with the workers if I do this. I'm, I'm in hiding while they're busy working. I'm protecting myself while they are at risk. I'm not willing to, to do what I'm telling other people to do. I'm being a hypocrite. And also, folks, this is the most important thing. God's word forbids it. And I don't care if somebody who claims to be a messenger from God is telling me to do it. God's word says otherwise. It isn't those who claim to be God's spokesman. It's what God's word says. My power, my authority is only in accord with the scripture. If I tell you anything, if anybody else tells you anything that is contrary to the book, they have no authority. God's word forbids it. To do it would therefore be wrong, and therefore I won't do it. No. And then he draws the the right conclusion. If somebody claims to be a messenger from God and tells you to do something from wrong, do, do something that's wrong, guess what? They are not a messenger from God. God does never God never tells you to do something that's wrong. God never commands you to sin. It is never right even to do wrong in order to do right. The ends don't justify the means. Verse 12. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. All right, these guys got deep pockets. Let's uh, let's send this guy a, a few shekels, and we can get him to, and, and with this script... And we can get him to say whatever we want to. Generally speaking, the high and mighty are not friends of the work of God. He had been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. And the purpose of the enemy, it says, they, he, therefore he was hired that I should be afraid and do so, follow through with this thing, go into the temple and sin. Make me afraid and therefore sin. And by the way, those two things often go together. If we, faith and fear are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And if I am afraid, just like Peter on walking on the, on the sea, I'm looking at my circumstances instead of looking at God. And I will be directed and governed by my circumstances rather than by, by God and what he says in his word. He had been sent so that I would be afraid. And go into the temple and sin that they might have a matter of an evil report that they might reproach me. That their their gossip, their slander might actually have some basis. If they can get me to do wrong, then they can say, aha, look at what he did. And everybody knows it. He's lost his credibility. He's lost his spiritual leadership. He's lost his, his, his God-given authorization. It's done. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And they always want to point out that. Don't give them opportunity. We need to strive to be blameless. Don't. The world has has plenty of, of, of lies to tell about us. Don't give them any facts to deal with. Don't give them any truth. Make sure that we are above reproach. 
Verse 14. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works and on the prophetess of Noadiah and the rest of the prophets. that would. So there's a number of them. False prophets hired by the enemy to make declarations for him to do things that he shouldn't do. Sorting out the truth. Well, who is right? The one that agrees with this. The one that agrees with this. If somebody, I don't care what their name is, who they are, what, who they're connected with, if it's, a, if it's not in accord with this, they're wrong. They're wrong. So what's the enemy trying to, in this particular case, what's the enemy trying to, to prevent from happening? The finishing of the walls. Nehemiah has dealt every step of the way Amazingly, by the grace and power of God, he has responded properly to a huge amount of opposition. Look at verse 15. Amazing. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 52 days. In less than two months, they had finished between a mile and a half and two and a half miles of wall, including setting up gates and everything else. It was done. And when we get further into the book books, don't be thinking just of the of a little. This was a wall that they later had a parade where they walked on top of it, the whole length of it. This was something substantial. This is without modern equipment. They're not. They don't have backhoes. They don't have bucket loaders. They don't have any. They don't have cranes. They don't have any of this stuff. This is all done by grunt. And in 52 days, they got it done. It's amazing what God can do with willing people who are empowered by God. And it came to pass, when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they came and looked. They were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory. It was done. Only God could do such a thing. The enemies were humiliated. They were defeated. It's amazing. In this little window of time, the roles were very much reversed. The Jews with confidence and joy, and the enemies with discouragement and despair. For they had rightly perceived that the work was wrought of God. Because it couldn't have happened just under human circumstances. It couldn't be explained by simply having enthusiastic people. It couldn't be explained simply by Nehemiah's dynamic leadership. It had to be a work of God. And a great testimony to those without. To God be the glory. Do they stop? Nope. Look at verse 17. The opposition continues. Moreover, in those days, in the days when the wall was finished, when all this is going on, all these great things, when we're celebrating, when we're, we're just rejoicing in what God has done, in those days, the nobles of Judah, the leadership there that are with Nehemiah's people. By the way, these are the same crowd also that uh, we look, looked at last week that were financially encumbering the, the poor folks. 
The nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, unto Tobiah, and letter, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. Who is informing whom? Who is allied with whom? For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law by marriage as well as by oath. He was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshelam, the son of Berechiah. So there's there's family connections. They had taken oaths of of uh, of, of alliance. They were acting as spies, sending communications back and forth. They were, folks, they were traitors to their own people. And more importantly, they were traitors to God. These are people that are on the right side of the, of the lions. They're in the right place. They supposedly embrace the right God. And yet the reality is they're, they're enemies, enemies within. He's not only having to deal with enemies all the way around, but as we looked at last time, there are often enemies within. Also, verse 19, they reported his good good deeds before me. Oh, Tobiah is such a great guy. Sanballat, oh, he's wonderful. Let me tell you what he's been doing. And then they uttered my words unto him, making sure that everything I said went back. There's a line of information. And at the same time, they were sending private letters to Nehemiah to try to put him into fear. The conflict, folks, is never over. We look at some goal, something we're striving to do, and we, we, we arrive there, and we, it's accomplished, and we celebrate. But that doesn't mean that the opposition is, is over with. That doesn't mean that the, the hardship, the difficulty is, is done. Oh, I'm glad that's over with. Oh, all of our problems are gone. No. This side of glory, the, the problems never go away. They may change, they never go away. There will always be slander. There will always be threats. There will always be violence and personal attacks. And very often, even those with good intentions will be promoting error in belief and practice. And very often, as I think we've been seeing in the last two years, promoting good at the expense of what is best and essential. Because, folks, we have we are a distracted people. All over the world, Christians are distracted. And here in America, oh, my word, we are so... Why can't we do what we're just supposed to be doing, what God commanded us to do 2,000 years ago, and we are so distracted of all about this and all about this? And folks, we have a job to do. And circumstances have not changed what that job is to be. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. May we our trust, our confidence, our strength be in the God of heaven. Because there's no limit to the power available to us if we are yielded to him and accomplishing the task that he'd have us to do. Heavenly Father, thank you. May we not be distracted. Father, opposition is always going to be there. There is always going to be enemies who oppose what we would have, what you would have us to do. And until you come and establish your kingdom, until we are glorified, we are always going to have to wrestle with these things. Father, you are, the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
And if we know Christ as Savior, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, Father, may we not get distracted. May we not be put into fear. May our trust, our confidence, our hope be in you alone. Father, may we recognize that regardless of how great and powerful the opposition may be, regardless of how many of them there may be, that with you, we are in the majority and we are powerful. Father, thank you that God dwells within us and enables us. And Father, may we not get distracted from the task at hand. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ or more about our ministry, please visit www.gracebaptistpuallop.org. Until next time, may you walk worthy of the Lord.